Amen. Good evening. I'm uh, Pastor Eric Corbett, uh, spilling in for Pastor Rick this evening. And turn with me, if you would, to uh, the book of Jonah. And we will read uh, verses 1 through 6 in Jonah. Jonah, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone out to the, down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captains came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Tonight's message is entitled, Get Up. And our key verse is going to be um, verse 6 of Jonah chapter 1. And so the righteous aren't supposed to be confusing to unbelievers. Uh, We may be a bit of a wonder because we display the glory of God in earthen vessels, as is told to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we're not to be conflicting or confusing. Uh, We're to be those who stand for and know the truth of who God is. And the prophet Jonah was a bit of an enigma to those he encountered uh, in this passage because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He should have been about the Lord's business but chose to do his own thing instead. He soon finds out that that wasn't the best option. And we'll hopefully glean some important lessons that will encourage us to trust the Lord and how we serve him. So Jonah was sent by the Lord to preach to Nineveh, but uh, he didn't want to see God be merciful to the Ninevites. And we're told in Genesis 10:11 that the city Nineveh was founded by Nimrod. And this was considered one of the largest cities in the ancient world. Some estimates put it at almost uh, 60 miles in circumference and possibly populated with more than a million people. Uh, the Ninevites were Assyrians, and they were idolaters and wicked people. And, and history and, and the scripture, it alludes to some of the, the things that they, they were about. And they, they, were, they, were, they were pretty intense. And uh, so Jonah's disdain for these people wasn't just because they were wicked, but there was, it was also due to some racism and a twisted sense of nationalism that Jonah had. And I'll say that for the Christian, there is no place for that in Christ. I'll say that again. There's no place for any of that in Christ. Revelation 5, 9 says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so these, of course, are the saints uh, worshiping the Lord and acknowledging the fact that he has freed us all. And uh, so it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, uh, we are united in Christ. And so Jesus, of course, came to save all people, and heaven's going to be populated with one people, and that's the people of God, and, and those are his children. And so Jonah will eventually get past this, uh, and the proof is of that is that uh, he tells us what a knucklehead he was by publishing the book. But he's going to have to go through a few things first. And so in uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, it says, So the captain came to him. And so this is the chief sailor or possibly the owner of the vessel. And he had responsibility for the crew and the cargo and was probably the only one that was freed up enough to go and look for Jonah. So here's this storm that the Lord uh, causes because he's, he's trying to get Jonah's attention. And uh, no doubt all of the crew members are all hands on deck um, because the, the, the scripture tells us that uh, the, the ship was about to be broken up. That's how intense of a storm this is. So he goes to look for Jonah and he finds him and he says to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Not, hey, wake up or, you know, uh, I sure hope you can swim, buddy, because the ship is going down. 
you know, his, his question is, what do you mean? And, you know, so the, it's kind of the thought is, you know, how is it that you're asleep? I mean, this, this is a raging storm here. Uh, the captain is thinking, you know, this is, this is kind of unusual. And this, this is so unusual, this must be some kind of a sign. Nobody does this. And there's something different about this guy, but I, I don't really understand what it is. And, again, this is no little storm. It was so severe that the ship was, of course, in risk of sinking is what the, what the Scripture tells us. And so these were experienced uh, seamen, and they were so shaken by this storm that they thought they were going to die. And, and how, how much is that like uh, for the unbeliever? That uh, that goes through life and they deal with the things in life, and you know many people can pre- be pretty savvy uh, about how to go about their business and and act like everything's okay. But when it really comes down to it, and they really understand that they are not in control of their life, it is like a storm, a raging storm that they can't do anything about. And so that's kind of the situation that that this captain and his his men are in. So he says to Jonah, he says he calls him sleeper. And the word used here that's translated sleeper means to be in a state of sleep which has little or no activity or awareness to surrounding situations. There may be snoring or heavy breathing noises as a feature of the sleep. It actually says that in the definition. So, so this isn't just casual napping. This is that mouth hanging wide open you know, probably drooling, hacksaw, you know, snoring type of sleep, that ah, kind of sleep. I mean, he is in it. Jonah is knocked out. And so, you know, the captain probably knew where to find Jonah because he heard him over the waves and the wind. This, I mean, because this guy, is, I mean, he's, he's getting at it. And um, so he looks for Jonah, he finds him, and uh, Jonah wasn't in a deep sleep because he was at peace. I believe he was sleeping so hard because he was tired. It wasn't that Jonah was like, oh, you know, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord and I ah, got away, I got into the ship, and I'm, I'm going headed to Tarsus, uh, and, and, and I, now I can take a nap. No, I, I think he was actually tired. And um, this is, again, the kind of sleep that you have when you're, as the saying goes, dead tired. Well, why was Jonah so tired? Well, he was running from God. And it's exhausting running away from God. You can't outrun him. You know, wherever you go, he's already beat you there. God is omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere at once. It's not like, you know, he's everywhere and you can, you can kind of get there a couple seconds. No, he's already there and he's everywhere at once. And David understood this, uh, the omnipresence of God. And this is what David writes in Psalm 139. Verses 7 through 12. He says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. So David is saying, wherever I go, even if it's a place where I can't be found by men or I can't find anyone else, God sees very clearly, very plainly. And so uh, Jonah is running from God, and I believe it's tired him out. And uh, so the question is, do you know someone or maybe possibly you? Have you been running from God? Well, if so, are, are you tired yet? Because you're going to get tired if you're trying to run from God. And if you're tired of being tired, well, then here's, here's some advice for you. Stop running. If, if you're tired of, of fighting against the hand of the Lord and doing your own thing, stop running. Stop resisting. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so uh, Jesus says, look, stop, stop resisting. Stop running from me. Come to me, because I can give you the rest that you're not going to find anywhere else. Whatever you're trying to chase after, whatever you're trying to run from, I can give you rest from that. 
And so are you doing hard labor, trying to resist the Lord? Are you heavy laden with guilt? Well, come to him. Come to the Lord Jesus and find rest. He's the good shepherd, and he'll take care of you. So Jonah is running. He's tired. He's knocked out because he's worn out. And the, the captain of the ship comes to him and, and shakes him, wakes him up. And that, that word translated sleeper can also mean to lie still or be inactive or be in a place and not move in any way. So it's, it's, it kind of eludes or can, it can also uh, give an indication or, or an image of, of, of death, being dead. And so Jonah had previously been active in ministry, and God used him uh, to prophesy that uh, Jeroboam II would reclaim territory for Israel, and you can find that in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. But Jonah became inactive while he had decided to run from the presence of the Lord. And so if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be serving in some capacity. It doesn't have to be a grand role in ministry. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be a very visible place in ministry. It could just be assisting, assisting others who are serving. Uh, And I'm not trying to undersell serving. Um, If God has called you to serve in some capacity and he's leading you to do that, then you should do it. Um, You know, don't don't be like Jonah. But uh, serving is good for us. And it's good for us because serving puts our faith into action. And James writes this in James chapter 2, verse 26. He says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the believer in Jesus Christ who's not doing anything for the Lord, and I mean just, you know, you're, you're just not doing anything. And that's, that's probably going to be pretty rare, I would hope, at least in this church. I, I know that's rare in this church. But if you're not doing anything for the Lord, um, then you can seem lifeless. It, it can seem as though there's no life there, and that's not, that's not who we are. Uh, the witness for Christ in that person who's, not, who's a believer, who's not doing anything with that, their faith, that witness can be sluggish or powerless. And so what's the impact of having a sleepy or sluggish witness? Well, we'll look at uh, verses 7 through 10. In Jonah chapter 1. And it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So here's Jonah. He's waking up out of his sleep, and he's brought up, and they're like, Hey, what's going on with you? And uh, they hit them, hit him with this barrage of questions. It really only answers one. And um, so... You know, he seems hypocritical because Jonah tells the the mariners that he fears the Lord. And that means that he's what he's saying is that he worships the one true God. And that word fear here is not afraid. It's 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 a word that means reverence. But Jonah wasn't holding the Lord in reverence at this time. He was not revering the Lord, but being rather disobedient instead. And it was the truth about God that was told to these these men that caused them to begin to respond to the Lord and not Jonah's statement about his relationship to him. So when he says that he fears the Lord and he gives a description of who this Lord is, he says he's the God of heaven, this verse 9, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Well, these guys are experienced mariners. They knew all about the sea, and they'd never experienced a storm like this. It has caught their attention. Here's this, this stranger that's, acting really weird that they don't know what's going on with him. And then they find out, you know, later on that he's the cause of all of this. And so they put two and two together and they're like, whoa, this, this God that he's speaking of is real. And, and that's what they respond to. But not Jonah's, you know, proclamation. I fear the Lord. I am, I belong to, you know, Lord Yahweh. I mean, that, that, that had no bearing on them because again, he tells them, it's because of him that they're encountering this trouble. So he's saying, I, I serve the Lord, but yet I'm being disobedient to him. <laughs> and, and so, um, 
he's he's kind of you know contradicting here, and uh, again it tells them that he he told them he had fled from the presence of the Lord from the Lord, and their response is, "Are you crazy? I mean that's not what they say." <laughs> you know the the question is why have you done this? But they're like that doesn't make any sense. Um, you know even though these men may not have heard of the Lord before Jonah mentions him to them. They knew that it wasn't right for someone who claimed to believe in him to be trying to run from him. So, yeah, I, I serve the Lord. I fear the, the one true God who, who created heaven and earth. But I'm, I'm kind of running from him right now. And, and, and because he's trying to get my attention because I'm ignoring him, there's this storm. And you guys are uh, about to die. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So, so this must be what it's like for an unbeliever who's observing people who claim to be Christians uh, doing and saying things that are clearly against what Christianity claims to be all about. And so here's this man, Jonah. He's sending mixed signals. Proverbs 25, 26. Of, uh, I, I love this verse because it's, it's, it's so real. Proverbs 25, 26 says, A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. So a thirsty soul that's coming to us looking for living water has their hopes dashed and maybe even repulsed when we don't uphold the witness that we should. And, and that's, that's, you know, somebody's dying of thirst and they're like, Oh, there's a, there's a spring up and, and they get there and it's, it's, it's purple <laughs> or you get to a well and you, you pull it up and there's something that used to be alive. That's no longer alive. That was in that. Well, that's, that's not going to be refreshing. You, you, your, your hopes of, of quenching that thirst are, are done. And it's the same thing like that, that that happens when we, the righteous Christians, believers, who are supposed to be the people of truth, the people of God, and when we don't do what we're supposed to do. I mean, we all, we're all, you know, fail. We, we all have weaknesses. We all have struggles. Uh, but this is, this is outright disobedience right here that this man is doing. And, and here are these, these men, these mariners, and they're, they're, an, they're an interesting group because they are very eager to receive. Uh, we see characteristics in them and just these little verses uh, that we'll get to a little later that, that give us a little bit of the character of these men. Um, they were willing to help. They were willing to help Jonah. <laughs> You're running from your God and being disobedient, but we, we're, we're not going to treat you unkindly. And, um, and so these are people who are, res- who are likely going to be receptive to the gospel. And so um, we have a responsibility. And I, I'm not trying to make, make us, you know, anybody feel guilty. That's not what this is about. This is about looking at what we have before here and understanding there are things that we can do right and there are things that we can not do right. And hopefully we will be encouraged to, to keep our focus and, and, and be sober-minded as the Scripture uh, encourages us to, to do those things that we can uh, while we have the opportunity as God puts them before us. And here's this man, Joni. He has this grand opportunity, and uh, he's, he's blowing it. But uh, God was able to work through that even still. And so Jonah was sent originally to minister to the Ninevites, who were a people that, though they were wicked, God still had compassion on them and wanted to reach them. But God's man, Jonah, was caught sleeping on the job, so to speak. And so, you know, we all have physical bodies that get tired and need to sleep. However, the Bible in many places discourages slumber. And slumber is a little different. Slumber has the implication of laziness. It's not just sleep for rest. Proverbs 6, verse 6 says, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come, come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So the sluggard here is, is defined as a person who is habitually lazy and inactive, suggesting that he has no discipline or initiative. And it actually, in the definitions, it says lazy bones. I mean, I've heard people call somebody lazy bones, and, it's, and it's, that fits the description of the sluggard. And taken to extremes, this kind of uh, behavior or characteristic of an individual is not only a challenge for others, but they can also put themselves in, in a spot that they can't really get out of. As we read in, in uh, the verse, it says, you know, your, your poverty will come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. 
you'll find yourself in a place where there is no defense for what's coming against you because you put yourself there. And um, so Jonah was potentially in danger of heading in this direction. But God engineered this storm to help rouse him out of his sleep as well as a a certain uh, sea creature (laughs) Uh, because there was work for Jonah to do. Uh, Speaking of the sea creature, the the fish, let's let's talk about the fish. Let's talk about the the elephant in the water or the the fish in the room. Um, The fish, I I think, gets a little too much press in uh, in this story, in my opinion. I mean, it, you know, as, as a little kid, you know, you learn Jonah and the whale, or, you know, it's, it's a whale is what it's called. Uh, and there's this debate uh, about whether it's a whale or a fish, uh, what kind of fish or whale could have swallowed Jonah. And the Hebrew word that's translated fish here does leave some room for it to possibly be a mammal. So that's where the whole whale thing, I think, comes in. Um, I've concluded that I have no problem with it being a fish. Um, if God wanted Jonah to be swallowed up by a sardine, well, then he could create a sardine large enough to swallow a, a full-grown man. Uh, when I was in, in college, I had a friend that had, uh, he bought an Oscar. I don't know if you know what, an Oscar is a type of fish. It's a carnivorous fish. And um, when he bought it, you know, it was, it was probably about, about that big. It, was, it wasn't a big fish at all. And um, he started off feeding it little, you know, little, little minnows or guppies or what, little tiny fish, little feeder fish. And, um, and so, I, you know, you know, in college, hanging out with friends, and his place was one of the places to hang out. And so, you know, uh, for a time, on a da- almost a daily basis, I was going to his place, and, and I'd be there when he fed this fish. And so after a couple weeks, you know, for whatever reason, I, I hadn't gone back to his place. And so it was probably about a month later. So one of the things that he was doing is once the fish got to a certain size— he was supposed to only give it a certain amount of fish, and he was giving it, like, the whole packet of fish. So it, it got to a place where this thing was just growing. And um, he had, a, you know, so anyway, I hadn't been for a while, and I come back, and this fish was, like, ten times the size that it was the last time. I mean, it was this bigger, this big fish, and he's feeding, like, 30 goldfish at a time. And uh, I think the only reason it stopped growing is because of the tank. It just couldn't get any bigger. It barely could turn around in the tank. So my point is, is that if God wants to, wants to, <laughs> wants to gorge, <laughs> you know, a fish to make it get big enough to swallow a man, he can do that. And uh, the bottom line uh, is that, you know, the, the Bible begins with this line. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. If I can believe that, then I can believe that God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and I can most certainly believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sins. And so, and in fact, this very account of Jonah being swallowed by a fish is, is what Jesus himself holds up as the picture representing his resurrection from the dead. And in Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 38 through 40, this is what Jesus says. A second. Matthew 12. That's not the right. Here it is. Matthew 12, verse uh, uh, 39. Sorry. Jesus speaking. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he says, And the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus, of course, is validating this story. Uh, of of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, as the scripture tells us. And so we must be careful with how we view God's word. God is, uh, still wants us to think. He's given us a brain. Uh, but regardless if we understand everything or not, and we won't understand everything fully that we're given in the scriptures, but we can understand enough to know without any doubt that God's word is trustworthy. 
For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So even though we may falter at times, as this man Jonah is doing and did, God is still able to do his will in spite of us. So back to our uh, our verse. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? And then the next thing he says is arise, arise, call on your God. And so he shakes Jonah up, wakes him up, has, gives him a second to wipe his mouth with his drool. And then he says, he says, arise. Now, that word arise means to get up or to stand up. And in contrast to an attitude of slumber, the Bible gives us numerous uh, examples and encouragements to rise. And it, it encourages us to rise early. Examples of those who rose early. I'll give, uh, we'll give three here. The first one is Abraham. Abraham, when he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, he rose early. It tells us in Genesis chapter 22, verse 3, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So here's Abraham. He's given this assignment by the Lord. He's not exactly sure at this point how it's all going to turn out, but he trusts God. And it was probably the hardest thing he ever had to do to even consider. And yet he doesn't delay. He, the next day, he's, he's, he's obedient. And after his task, he gets up early and, and takes Isaac to go. And, of course, we, we know how the story ends. He, he doesn't sacrifice Isaac uh, because, uh, of course, God gave the substitute as a picture. The next one we'll look at is Joshua. Uh, and this is at the second battle of Ai. And, um, you know, they had come into the land and, you know, Joshua, they, they were presumptuous uh, with this little town, AI. They had just come off this great victory and, um, and they lost. And so Joshua goes back to the Lord and the Lord, you know, tells him what to do. And at the second, before the second battle, this is what it says about Joshua. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 9, it says, um, uh, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Verse 10. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before, before the people to Ai. So here, Joshua, you know, in the, in the face of a, a previous defeat, says, okay. Well, the Lord is with us this time because I've made sure of that. And he gets up early uh, to go at it, to, to gain the victory. And then, of course, the last one uh, we'll look at is our Lord Jesus. And this is uh, what it says uh, about Jesus. This is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And so we have here... Uh, the Lord getting up early to uh, have a personal devotion time with the Father. And we're encouraged to do the same. You should have a time set aside to read God's word and talk to him every day. For most people, it's best to do this in the morning before the busyness of the day sets in. You know, you know, you know we all have things to do, and oftentimes it doesn't take long before the day comes and finds you. Uh, so before that happens, set aside some time. And so this may mean you may have to get up a little earlier, uh, which may mean that you have to go to bed a little earlier, too. And uh, now some of us are morning people and some of us are not. And uh, there are those who can wake up and say, good morning, oh, Lord. And then there are those of us that will wake up and say, oh, good Lord, it's morning. And and. Because there's different people. And uh, whether you have your devotion time in the morning or at night or at some other time during the day, I would encourage you to develop a regular habit of daily personal devotions if you haven't already. And we all, we all may struggle with this from time to time, being consistent, but it's crucial to our growth and our walk with the Lord. And uh, it's far more valuable than a little extra sleep. Proverbs 20, verse 13, this one 
smote me between the eyes the first time I read it. It says, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. And, and you know, so when I was a, a pretty new believer, I'm, I'm one of those morning people. I don't necessarily say, oh, good Lord, it's morning. I do greet the, the Lord first thing I do when I wake up. And, uh, but, um, you know, I wasn't one of those people that would just naturally wake up early, <laughs> fresh. And, uh, but God, he would, he would wake me up. I mean, and it was, it was, I knew it was him because, you know, I would set my alarm and, and I would sometimes, I would wake up and it, I would, I mean, I mean, just bright awake, uh, five minutes before my alarm went off. I'm like, this is not, not this is not me. This is, this is, this is the Lord. And it was because he wanted to wake me up because he wanted to spend that time with me. And, um, he doesn't do that anymore. That was in the early days. He was helping me out. Now I've, I've got to put in the work, but, um, uh, but God wants to spend that time with you. And so, uh, let, let him have it. It's, it's good for both of us. And so he will provide fresh bread from his word for us daily. And so, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was awakened often by the light in my room being flipped on and a firm greeting uh, of on your feet, soldier, from my dad. And uh, I considered it quite a rude awakening, but it, uh, it was effective for getting me moving. And uh, my dad, him being a, a Vietnam veteran, I'm pretty sure that he heard it said many times. And I imagine that there were times when it was really needed to be said and times when it really needed to be heard. And I realize now that as a Christian, uh, there are times when I need to say it to myself. On your feet, soldier. You know, uh, the, the Bible tells us that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's, that's what we have to do sometimes. And so we all need to be encouraged from time to time. And some of us need uh, to be encouraged often just to keep moving. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. And so, you know, we're going to face challenges in this life just, just because of life. But, but as a believer, as one who belongs to the Lord, there are going to be things that come against us that, you know, are, are extra. And we're going to need that encouragement. And we're going to have to understand that that's just part of it. And, um, but we can, we can keep on. We can move on. We can get up. And so uh, on your feet, soldier. Um, that's also, uh, basically kind of what was said to the apostle Peter when he was in jail for the faith and, uh, and in Acts chapter 12, verse five, this is after James had been killed with the sword and it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So, you know, I always kind of wondered about this, you know, (laughs) smiting Peter on the side. I'm like, that's kind of a rude awakening. And it's kind of like on your feet, soldier. And uh, so Peter was asleep, but his sleep wasn't the, the slumber of laziness. It was a peaceful sleep because the Lord had told him how he would die. And he knew that the Lord was with him. And uh, the Lord told him that in John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. And so when we are at peace with God and we trust him, we can have sweet rest Proverbs 3, verse 24 says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. And that's what's going on with this man, Peter. And of course, he was freed from prison. And so the next time we see Peter in the book of Acts, we see him standing up. And he's standing up for the grace of the gospel. Um, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither of our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So this is this is at the Jerusalem Council. And of course, there was this challenge and they were trying to make the the Gentiles to, to be obedient to the law. And Peter says no. And so that word translated rose up when it said that Peter rose up and said, Uh, in verse seven is the same Greek word used by the angel that hit him in Acts chapter 12. So Peter rise up and he did, uh, as we see here later on. And so the, the greatest army that this world has ever seen is the church. This army is not of this world because our great general and commander is not of this world. He is the Lord of hosts which is, can be translated the Lord of armies. And these are the heavenly armies, the heavenly ones. And the church is a heavenly army that's engaged in a great military campaign here on earth. But again, the battles that we fight are not physical ones. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us, Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And, uh, you know, there's always a battle going on uh, in Christ. And we're in a battle for the glory of God and also for the souls of men, both saved and unsaved. And we can have influence on the outcome of both. We can be strengthening the saved and we can be contributing to the salvation of the lost. And so uh, we can stand up and get up and get involved in this, in this fight. So back to our, our verse, the captain says, arise. And then he says, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. perish. At this time, it was not yet known what God Jonah had believed in. The captain, he didn't know. Uh, he just knew that here's this, this guy, he, didn't, he finds out later he was a Hebrew that's on the ship and he's, he's sleeping down here. But it was assumed that he did believe in a God because when there was trouble and everybody else on the ship was calling out to their gods, he's like, oh, we got to get this guy involved, too. Maybe he's got the right God. And uh, so there's an appeal to Jonah to implore his God that he would show mercy to them, even though they didn't worship him. That's that's interesting. And this is like many today. Many people talk about God all the time, but it oftentimes doesn't take long before you figure out that they don't really know him. You know, there's all, you know, people talk about praying and doing all sorts of things and, you know, worshiping God, but you kind of find out, well, that's, that's not true. Where'd you get that from? And, um, they believe or say things about him that aren't true and, uh, or they've aligned themselves with things that are completely against his character and nature. And yet they expect that God will honor their requests or demands. And so we can, of course, engage people when God gives the opportunity to speak to them about our faith. And we should counter the lies that they've believed with truth. But one of the most effective ways we can reach them is through prayer. And I'm a firm believer uh, that no one gets saved without someone praying for them. Not that it's up to us for them to be saved, because salvation, of course, is of the Lord. He's the one who saves and he could do it all by himself. However, he wants us to be included in the work so that we can share in the reward. And that reward is a never ending eternity with God in heaven. And that's the joy that was set before him that caused him to endure the cross. And he wants us to rejoice not only in our own salvation, but the salvation of others. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter four. This is um, when he's met the woman at the well and the disciples have come back. She's off. Uh, evangelizing the whole town of Samaria. And um, and the, the disciples, they're like, well, Lord, aren't you hungry? And he's like, I have food to eat that, you know, you know not of. But then he goes on in John chapter 4, verse 35. He says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receive wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And so at this time, it is quite possible that 
the people from the city have begun to come out because she has gone and proclaimed that she's met the Messiah. And, and as Jesus is looking up, he sees the people coming. He sees the harvest coming. And so the Lord of the harvest allows us to take part in bearing fruit for the kingdom. And Jesus invites us to get involved in the work of saving people. And we can all do that through prayer. That's something we can all do. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of things that you may not have the, the opportunity to do, you know, uh, but, but you can always pray and you can pray anywhere at any time and, uh, we're not bound. And so that is a, a great work that I believe that when we get to heaven, God is going to peel back the curtain and we're going to see all that he's been able to do with our prayers. Uh, you know, the, the person that you, you saw in the store that just looked like they were having a bad day and your heart you know, went out and, and you had compassion and you lifted up a prayer for them. Who knows what God was able to do with that? Or, or that's just, you know, one example. There's, there's tons of them that, that I believe, again, God will, will allow us to see um, the impact of our prayers on this world. And so we're to ask God to intervene and work in the hearts and the lives of people. And the captain of this ship is hoping that God would perhaps be merciful to him and the crew so that they might not perish. But again, he didn't know that God is, as it says in 2 Peter verse 3 and 9, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's the will of God that, that people repent and they come to him because that's the heart of God. And that's the heart of God that he had for uh, the, the people in Nineveh. That's why he sent Jonah. And that's also the heart that he had for these, these men that were on this ship. And that's why he sent Jonah. <laughs> Even though Jonah thought that he was doing his own thing, he was still within the will of God. Because, because as we'll see, um, God has, has an impact on them despite what Jonah does. Um, and we'll read verse uh, 11 through 16 of, of Jonah chapter 1. Then they said to him, they said to Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return the land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So these men, despite Jonah's seeming disinterest in their well-being and eternal state, they get saved. I mean, Jonah didn't really have anything to do with this. And God reaches in using Jonah. You know, again, without his knowledge that this was what was taking place. And, you know, Jonah gives this testimony of who, who the Lord is. You know, the storm that they're all witnessing. And they're like, this is an unusual storm. This is a strange man. And they're putting all this together. And, and you know, again, as I spoke earlier, that the character of these men. It says that, that when, when Jonah tells them that this storm was because of them, they're rowing hard to return to land because because they're, they're concerned about not only their own lives, but Jonah. Because they're like, if this is what we're going through because your God is, is trying to get your attention, what's he going to do when he gets a hold of you? And, um, and but, you know, they, 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 they don't want to throw Jonah overboard because they have some care and compassion for him. These, are, these, again, these are people who are ripe for the gospel. And they're all around us. Yes, there are going to be people who are resistant and hard. And there are going to be people, many of them, who ultimately reject the message of love and grace and forgiveness only offered through Jesus Christ. But there are many. And I believe that we're in a time where all of the things that are going on, it seems like evil is parading and, and, and having its way, um, that, that one of the things that's also taking place is that people are are being conditioned and and brought to a place where they're they're looking for truth, where they are looking for answers like never before, and this is opportunity that that the Lord I believe is giving to us, and so we're to be sensitive and to be on the lookout 
for people who are receptive, receptive to, to you know, uh, having a conversation about, about things that are uh, obviously everybody's talking about, but being willing to listen to our point of view, our perspective in truth. Because many, of course, are, are hardened because they've, they've drunk the Kool-Aid and, and they're, they're, they're being solidified in their place. But I believe there are also many more who are, who are, are being drawn. And so, again, these are the ones that we should be concerned with and be praying for. And so it says the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord. This is their response after the calmness of the sea. And this fear is a reverent fear of the Lord, and it causes them to worship him. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs uh, 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so these men heard about the true God, and they responded with faith, with repentance, with prayer, and ultimately with worship. So although we're invited by God to get involved in the work, and we should because it's glorious, it's not up to us to get the work done. As we see here, Jonah was really nonchalant about it, but God was still able to save these, these, these people. And God is sovereign, and his will will be done whether or not we choose to participate. And this is one of the lessons we can draw from Jonah. And Jonah pre- goes to Nineveh. He ends up going to Nineveh, um, preaching a simple message to the people, probably pretty angry. He was probably still upset because he probably smelled like fish. And um, he preaches this simple message, and the whole city repents, even though Jonah didn't want them to. Again, this is, this is a huge city. The, the Bible tells us, and, you know, there's a debate whether it's really what it meant, but it, it gives the, the indication that the city was so large that it took three days to go through the city, and there were lots and lots of people here. And so Jonah's probably going up and down because <laughs> he's probably looking at the faces. Yeah, you, you, God's not going to be merciful to you in his mind. And he's just preaching his hard message. But everybody, they repent. They receive the message. And, um, again, it wasn't any effort that Jonah was putting into it. He was finally just being obedient and participating. Um, but this takes the pressure off of us to get it right all the time. And yes, we should want to get it right, as I believe we, we, most of us do. We all do. Um, we want to get it right as much as we can to please the Lord. But it's not by our strength that the work gets done anyway. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So God is the one who actually gets the work. He puts his hands on ours um, to get the work done. So therefore... What that means is that we're free. We're free to serve in faith knowing that the Lord's got it. And this doesn't exclude us from responsibility. You know, you don't want to end up like the cod liver oil prophet, um, you know, Jonah. Uh, But we can move forward in serving the Lord with joy because we know that he's with us and we know that he's faithful and he enables us to do the work. And so uh, to close, um, even though Jonah was disobedient in the beginning, And we don't really see him make a full recovery in the book. We know that God did a work in him because, as was said earlier, he publishes the book. And there are encouragements that we can learn from Jonah for us. You know, uh, God speaks to Jonah a second time, giving him a second chance. You know, Jonah, go up, go to Nineveh. He goes the other way. And after, you know, getting delivered from the fish, God says to Jonah again, Jonah, Go to Nineveh. So God gives him a second chance. Jonah's ministry bears fruit and that people get saved. And that's, of course, documented for us in, in chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. The people of Nineveh, the whole city, even the animals. <laughs> this is a weird thing. I mean, there was, there was this power that, that God did, this great work. Um, but the people of Nineveh get saved. And we can read that in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, and verses Uh, 8 through 10. And uh, God displays incredible patience and kindness towards his stubborn prophet. And uh, and that's in Jonah uh, chapter 4, verse 6. And Jonah, uh, excuse me, God uses Jonah again to minister in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. So Jesus holds up Jonah as a sign of of the greatest caliber, and that's the ultimate one. This stubborn prophet, Jonah, 
though he was pushing against the Lord, and ultimately the Lord won him, and, and God knew. God knew where Jonah would end up. He, he knew that, that Jonah's heart would, would eventually, even, you know, uh, though he went through what he went through in the fish and his prayer, he still struggled a little bit after that. But God knew that he would, he would win Jonah back. And Jesus takes Jonah and this story and holds it up as, as a picture of the resurrection, which is, which is I mean, that's the, that's, that's the point of everything, <laughs> the whole scripture, you know, and, and our, our salvation is hinged upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God takes Jonah and his knuckleheadedness, uh, but still working in his life. And, and, and using him and uses that and says, you want to understand what I'm going to do by getting up in three days? Here's a picture of that that I gave way back then. And, uh, and, and what, what an honor for Jonah. And so there are those who will respond to the message that we bring. And there will be some that will repent and be saved. And so we should be encouraged to go when we're sent and not be found sleeping. But when we're called, we can get up. And I'll close with this verse. It's from Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Let's pray. Father, it is, uh, it is amazing to, to read this, this little book of Jonah that has so many lessons, so many more than, uh, than we looked at tonight. Uh, but the, the richness of your grace, of your love, of your patience, not only to reach out to those who, who don't know you, but to work with those who do, who, who need some encouragement to, to, to get up, to, to stand. And um, Lord, may uh, the lessons that come from uh, again, this book, Jonah, and, and the teachings of your scripture, may they get into our hearts, and may they take root, and may your Holy Spirit make application where there needs to be, so that we can be encouraged, Lord, to continue to, to worship you, to love you, to follow you, to serve you, and also be looking forward to and excited about the prospect of being used by you to reach others, Lord, for we know that you desire that your house will be filled, and it's not quite filled yet. And we're still here, so there's still work to be done. And so may, uh, Lord, you continue to reach out through us uh, and do what only you can do. But thank you for inviting us along for the ride, knowing that when it's all said and done, we will be in heaven and in glory with you, rejoicing at all of the work that you have done. Uh, May you um, bless us, Lord. May you make us strong. May you allow us to continue to move forward in strength. And may you get us all home safely, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.